I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, man, this is terrible. Well, people don't yeah. know how to say that they just, like, disagree with someone without um, calling them a name. But, like, that's what, like, names like chode are for. Like, you can call someone you disagree with a chode instead of a fascist. And then that's a better, that's a better thing to do. There's better name calling. And it's more accurate. It's better than calling everyone a strasserite, I guess. (laughs) For sure. Okay, let's, let's get started. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to The Regrettable Century. I'm Chris. I'm Kevin. I'm Jason. And I'm Jenny. And uh, this week we are discussing the regrettable year of us producing podcasts. <laughs> it's been terrible. <laughs> it's been a very regrettable year. The regrettable year in review, where we discuss the beginnings and what has changed and where we would like to go in the future. Let's list our regrets. You go okay. first, Jason. Let's regret. Let's list our regrets of everything that has happened in this century. Oh man! <laughs> We've done a podcast for a year. As of this week, actually, is our one-year anniversary of doing the podcast. And oh, really? What? What's the actual date? Um, the. The first episode, I think we posted on ten twenty three eighteen. Okay, well, we're gonna be a week late in releasing this info, this uh, episode. But well, that's that's because we're a week off of our schedule. Remember, we. Oh yeah, we, yeah. This I timed I timed this episode to coincide with the release on uh, the year anniversary of the podcast. Okay. Doing a year in review is usually what a podcast uh, will do, like on New Year's, and it'll be like what happened around the world in the year. But in our year, you know, because like just like. The uh, French Revolutionary Calendar and the Juche Calendar in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Our year one starts in October of 2018. <laughs> exactly. So, we're we're thinking of a new calendar now that we're going to require that everyone who listens to our podcast uh, go by. That's right. Um, so set set your calendars to today is year two day one. Year um, two day one and the first month. Um, Shit, never mind. I didn't think this through. <laughs> You'll be Mr. Oh, Lucy will be Miss January. Yes. Or yeah, October. I, mean, I, di- I didn't really like think of a new calendar with like Germinal and, you know, Thermidor. No, and- every month is October. Oh, every month is October. Yeah. So- because of the October Revolution. <laughs> well, and because it's uh, this the century of the, the regrettable century is otherwise known as the long Halloween. Yes. Because every month is October from now on. Because everyone's just been playing dress-up since then. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Damn, that's pretty good, actually. It's cold. Cold-blooded. Yeah. Um, hey, remember, I, I had a, I dressed up like a, a Bolshevik soldier for Halloween one year, remember? <laughs> I remember that's one year good. I dressed up as a, as a Vietnamese NLF fighter. <laughs> <laughs> With Is fucking... that cultural appropriation? I think so. I think... Yeah. I mean, I did not... I think so I did not wear a yellow face because I thought that's kind of racist. <laughs> but I did. Yeah, have but a, I'm so proud of you, Jason. So proud of you. <laughs> you had the Vietnamese farmer hat on and an AK-47 and a, and a Vietnamese flag. So, anyways, <laughs> I sort of thought that doing a year in review uh, of the podcast would be useful. And, um, yeah, we have a list. <laughs> Let's do the All list. right, let's get started. <laughs> so, the first thing that we have on our list of our year one outline is. <laughs> <laughs> that is the first thing 
Lucy, Lucy, just the question. What was that, Lucy? Lucy asked, "What has changed since we started?" Now, that's a big question. Like, what has changed in our lives personally? What has changed on the podcast? What has changed in our views? Or uh, is the fact that we're now all Hojaists relevant to <laughs> like the podcast? Yeah, what's changed is I finally converted all of you to bunker communism. Exactly, and I moved to a different city. Uh, that changed for me. I'm still living in Portland. I have uh, less time. so yeah. Yes, you do. Um, the world still well, okay. sucks. Biggest personal change for me is also, I think, reflected in the trajectory of the podcast, which is that, uh, is that I'm, uh, I'm no longer involved in the DSA. You know, you can, you can track from our earliest episodes when we talk about, we, we actually talk about the DSA and being involved and using the podcast as a, as a sort of, I don't know, creative space to brainstorm and work through things and that will hopefully like play out in a way that makes us better at being organizers. And I just don't think of it in those terms anymore, which is, I think actually a pretty big change. Like, it's not like I've given up on the idea of socialism, but I'm just really for the first time in my adult life, I'm not involved in a left-wing group and it kind of feels good. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's healthy, man. Yeah. I'm uh, also not involved with the DSA, but my involvement was always paper involvement anyway. And now I've just removed the paper involvement from the DSA. After I let my dues lapse, I um, it just started paying a monthly contribution to the Bernie Sanders campaign because for all the criticisms, I still, you know, still rooting for him, you know. So I feel like I'm still uh, like a dues paying Democratic Socialist, but it just actually matters more now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're sort of contributing dues to a specific project rather than uh, a, a big sloppy organization that is incredibly incongruent from place to place and, and in, incoherent as a single entity. I am still uh, involved in DSA. Uh, my intention, at least as of right now, is to remain involved. Um, and uh, that is in large part because uh, the local chapter here in Portland is really healthy and doing good work and well-coordinated and um, is serious about stuff and takes itself seriously and uh, is willing to reflect on things and work, you know, different tendencies work together really well. Um, and that's not the same in every chapter uh, around the yeah. country. Whether <laughs> DSA say, wait, you... is worth in, in, in engaging with or not really hangs on the value of the the chapter that is near you locally. Yeah, word. So, for instance, I am still involved in the DSA, uh, but that is by and large because our chapter is, for better or worse, uh, almost completely disconnected from the larger organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but our chapter is... Um, in a small city where all of the most serious leftists and organizers um, in the city working around um, or fighting uh, rather environmental racism um, and the fucking refineries in the city um, and working around like immigration issues and building community defense uh, against, uh, you know, the attacks on immigrants in South Texas, all of those folks are in the DSA. Like everyone who's actually serious about um, both fighting and building uh, community networks, uh, they're in our chapter, those folks in the city. And so, yeah, it, it, it means something. And it's been a really amazing 
learning experience for me uh, because that's looked really different from my organizing in a lot of ways over the past several years. Unlike Jason, I am not a dues-paying democratic socialist still, uh, even though I am. I have contributed to Bernie Sanders' campaign. I'm not a democratic socialist. <laughs> I'm a communist. Oh, uh, I mean, okay. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I want Bernie to uh, do well because I think that that's what we need to push the left forward at this point. But um, I don't have any illusions as to Bernie Sanders uh, being able to enact enough democratic socialist reforms through the Democratic Party to get us to anywhere close to where we need to be. But I think that like anything that we can do to push the left forward at this point is good. And that's what seems to be the thing on the table right now. And also, personally, I could just really use health care. So... Oh, yeah, I want that fucking student debt remission, man, yeah. for real. I mean, look, even whenever I was, a, you know, in the DSA, I was still a communist. I'm a, sure. I'm a dues-paying democratic socialist, but I'm not philosophically a democratic socialist. Right, right. I just wanted to put that out there so that anybody who's listening to the episode wouldn't just turn it off. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Anybody who would turn it off because of that should just turn it off now. Yeah, they yeah. should. That's true. That's what I was going to say because, I don't know, I mean, <laughs> uh, like, it's. I, I guess, it, depending on the audience, it makes it's important to, like, make that distinction or whatever. But it, I want the, the dummies it, to listen to us also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but in the, the wider world, you know, it, like, uh, <laughs> come on, guys. Yeah, of course you're a democratic socialist. And, and most people, when they hear you say, I'm not a democratic socialist, are like, wait, what? Huh? Why not? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a Democrat with a small D, and I'm a socialist, right? Exactly. So yeah, I guess fucking sure, whatever. But yes, I yeah, like d- to be more precise, I'm uh, you know uh, uh, a Marxist, a uh, revolutionary, and uh, a communist. So someone's gonna take that clip and just have it say, "I'm a Democrat with a small D," and then put that. <laughs> <laughs> bio <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> so intellectuals wow. <laughs> so um what's changed in the podcast since we started <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, has that, do you feel like, uh, your organizational involvement or non-involvement has been reflected in, uh, the content or nature of the podcast at all? I feel, I definitely feel like, uh, Jason, uh, your ability to sort of help, uh, steer the ship of the show has <laughs> increased when, since, uh, you know, your time isn't being constantly occupied with fighting, uh, w- about nonsense in, you know, in the, in your chapter. So in, in some of our earlier episodes, we talked a lot about the kind of liber- the liberation that came with leaving a small, uh, sect with its routines and its, and its obsession over minutia, you know, and it's kind of restrictive, intellectual space um and how that would that actually helped us kind of all leap forward politically you know get a little bit better adjusted as people um i would say there's something similar to having stepped out of the dsa and allowing a lot of those similarly um some somewhat useless feeling uh routines and habits and a lot of the like 
kind of weird, nasty fights that people get into in the DSA because of how extremely online um, the group is and how, in a lot of ways, it's less serious than um, than it should be. Um, you know, it's highly variable. It's a, it's a lot of different kinds of things altogether. It's not really a group. You know, mm-hmm. it's more like a it's more like a social movement that has a like a aspirations to be an organization. Which it could be. That is really the thing. I get man, God, maybe I'm transferring my the same uh, naive hopes that I had uh, in about the ISO over to DSA. I'm just doing the same yeah. shit, different day. But uh, I I really feel like it could be. It could. Um, turn into a, a, a real organization, and it really a real macro sex. <laughs> it really, it really could uh, just like use a few organizational changes, like structural things internal to the organization. Just a few drops of Leninism, and it yeah, yeah like turn it into well, an actual party uh, uh, structure instead of just like a loose coalition of individuals who cho- choose to send them uh, you know a few bucks each year you know what i mean that was the way that i used to think of it and i don't anymore um and you know at some point in the near future we ought to i'd like us to talk about like political form and like you know do some investigation as to what we actually think is the like what's the appropriate political form for the moment but i don't think that the dsa is it at least um if it's going to prove to be that it's going to be as a result of somebody else's efforts at this point and it's definitely sorry go ahead Oh, it's it's definitely put me in a place to be um, uh, to reorient politically, intellectually. Like that's the way that I feel about it, at least at least for this chapter at this at this time or whatever. I don't want to make statements that are like everyone leave DSA, um, right? Because I don't think that they should, but and I don't think that you think that they should either. But uh, I I don't know. I think that having that conversation it would be incredibly useful for me. It would help me to clarify my my own ideas, and I and, uh, I think it could be a really fruitful conversation so uh yeah let's do that on a future episode when we've like read things and thought about it sure look i don't want to tell you that the way that you relate to god is wrong if you're getting something out of your church (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh i would say that like one of the things i wouldn't map it on or i wouldn't tie it directly to my own personal trajectory by by itself but I would say that I noticed, um, going back to the older episodes of the podcast, that we uh, we really actually struck a much more optimistic tone in our early episodes than we do now. Mm. Um, and I think it's it's just funny because at the time, um, it really I think we sounded to ourselves at the time darker and more pessimistic, verging on cynical. Like that's the way, the way it sounded to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always something I was trying to cut against and like push back on. And I think that's the influence of being in the, you know, communism will win crowd and yeah. then leaving that. Because now I think we actually like verbally, uh, vocally are a lot more willing to really engage with the darker side of things. And yet I don't feel like it's, it, it doesn't sound to me as as much like a wet blanket. Right. So I think my my whole mentality has changed, and I think that's probably my guess is that's true for everybody, and you can see that if you listen from beginning to end in the series of episodes we've done. Okay, so that actually leans into the second point that we have here is what have we learned over the course of this podcast so far? I I guess just I don't I think this fits in probably to the last question a little bit more. I think uh, my point of view I don't feel like has changed too much. Like, I don't find it to be unrecognizable. 
I just feel like uh, there's more exhaustion around it because I, I really believe both in the things that I believe, but also in the process, right? Um, in, in terms of like learning from one another and that being something we have to do collectively as opposed to like individually trying to figure shit out, which is, you know, that's maybe that's another conversation. But um, I, I just have such a level of exhaustion versus where I feel like where I was a year ago in terms of, I don't want to say like being ready to evangelize, but like certainly being more willing to have and ready to have a lot of the conversations that we've been trying to have over the past year. Um, right now I, I feel really winded by a lot of those conversations because I feel like I'm having so many of the same ones that the left was trying to flesh out a year ago. Um, and again, I, I just feel like the stakes are really high um, for a lot of people. Um, hopefully, I not hopefully, I guess, but presumably for a lot of the folks that listen to us, right? Um, and I really need the left to do better. And I really want us to win. And it's emotional and hurtful and, you know, like I said, exhausting and winding that we're not. <laughs> and I, I don't know if we're in a better position. And, and those are things that are really painful to think about. And I'm really sad that we're having <laughs> so many of those same conversations. That again, whereas I felt much more enthusiastic to have them a year ago, I feel really tired now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm not having them. <laughs> it's It's great. <laughs> things that i've learned have i've learned so much like probably more in the past year uh-huh than i did my entire like decade in the iso i think yeah. absolutely um just because we've we've been challenging ourselves to read hard things and deal with questions that we would normally never deal with or to read someone that we know full well going into the right. idea, going into it that we're going to disagree with. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that was fucking verboden in ISO. The idea of uh, yeah, reading, absolutely. Uh, reading anything that was from uh, even just like a different tendency of Marxism was just, mm -hmm. you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, in this past year, I, I feel like I've, dove i've di i've dived that i dove yeah <laughs> into I got, I got a's in english guys anyway i dove headfirst into uh <laughs> you know like western marxism which is something i'd never done before and um the, the frankfurt school and people who were anti-leninist which that's, that's a big no-no and uh people who were anti-trotskyist but leninist and that's another big no-no mm -hmm. I mean, it's just stuff that I would have never done. And I feel like I've learned a lot. I think I've, like, expanded my understanding of the way the world works, first of all, but, like, Marxism, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I – it really sort of this, – this podcast being involved in it has filled a void, an intellectual void in my life. And I'm, like, really, really grateful for that experience. And uh, I'm, yeah, ready to keep learning more. Yeah. And I, I really like it because it's it's, like – we have like a, a bi-weekly uh, study group mm -hmm. that we do and we record it. And it doesn't matter if we don't fully understand the stuff that we read or have like really hard opinions on things because we like sort of flesh those things out as 
as we go. And it's, it's very, it's been very helpful for me in my development as a Marxist. Yeah. I mean, the, the, my quick answer to completely agree. What I've learned over the course of the podcast, over the course of this last year, um, is a better way to think. That's what I've learned, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. D- uh, how to be dialect, how to think dialectically. Yeah. I yeah, always said so, it and I never knew how to do it. So right. that, that's, I think what I was getting at when I said, I don't know, it's hard for me to gauge like how much my positions have actually changed throughout the past year, but I think that my processes have changed and the way that yeah. I kind of try to hammer out what I'm thinking have changed. And I think mm-hmm. um, just personally as an individual, I've become a better organizer and listener um, by being um a part of this podcast and being able to talk to you all because I do feel challenged. This is something that I talked about with um, the ladies on the Patreon episode last week, uh, which is like how, how much I feel like I benefit from being able to have these conversations with you all. But I also feel like being able to kind of um, hammer out a lot of the things that are heavier on and weigh on me personally and politically here in these spaces. I feel like I'm better in organ- larger organizing spaces because I'm not trying to have these like very lofty and weighted conversations and bringing my baggage into those spaces because mm-hmm. I'm able to talk it out with with you all. Um, not to right. get like too real and too emotional, which is like my thing I know is crying on this <laughs> on this podcast is sort of my thing. Um, but again, it's because like I, I very much care about um like not living in a capitalist hellhole yeah. um for the rest of my life. <laughs> and um being able to, to win is important to me. And I think part of that is, is being able to handle um my the things that make me emotional uh with people like trust and it's still a collective process talking about those things with you all and kind of getting through this stuff with you all but i'm not um deliberately bringing that baggage into larger organizing spaces and having that permeate those Mm. things and those those efforts and movements and that work you know Wow, so that the initial goal that we laid out for the podcast is at least being fulfilled in 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 some cases. So that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, this sort of secondary uh, function of this podcast has been like sort of group therapy for all of us. <laughs> I think <laughs> a lot of us is just, yeah, yeah. You know? A friend of mine who's a, a CP member, he listened to a couple of our episodes in a row, and then he sent me a message, and it was just like. Damn, y'all trots really have some fucking <laughs> trauma in your life. <laughs> I was like, you know, yes. it's, you're telling it's, me, buddy. <laughs> it's really true, you know. We um, yeah, when your hero we, gets ice picked to the skull, you know, it's traumatic. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna man. say it's like it's a uh, it's it's not all self inflicted, you know. <laughs> on, only true. most of it. I think, like, you know, when we've talked about like reading some of the heavier stuff, and you know really intellectually developing and learning better ways to think and process. Um, I think I would want to counterpose that to just like absorbing and gathering information and like, you know, not every single thing that we have read is necessarily like a hard read in terms of hard to know what the author is saying. It's a hard read. Right. Right. 
because it challenges preconceptions. Yeah. Some of w- mm-hmm. some of which are a decade or more uh, established, and uh, you know, I'll say I I have needed to do that, and you know, having a years long process, uh, a project of doing that deliberately has been really good. I would also further say that I think I'm not entirely unrepresentative of the 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 left in the English speaking world generally. Like mm-hmm. we all probably should learn better ways to think. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Challenge challenge every established uh preconception, every habit, every uh every tenant, every tradition, every dogma, every article of faith, um, and kind of return to Really simple, like learn how to assess what's happening in the world. Think about the fluidity and the dynamics of class struggle in a given moment, and then try to basically draw conclusions about like what to do from that. Rather than here's a here's a tome, learn it, repeat it back to me. Now you're in. Yeah, I I think about I don't maybe this will get cut out. Whatever. I think about this a lot in terms of the way I choreograph and and re- because it's what I do, you know, like in relation to that. And um, I'm I'm having a lot of the same conversations with myself in terms of like art um, and things like that. And I'm always thinking about movement invention, which is like thinking about not just drawing from the same dance vocabulary I always draw from, or rather we as a dance community always draw from in terms of choreography, right? We know how to get into a turn and out of a turn. Like, what are new ways? How do we take the vocabulary we already have as dancers, as choreographers, as movers, as artists, um, but also think about movement invention? What are the things that are useful in terms of saying what we want to say in terms of building narratives and choreography? What is useful about the vocabulary we already have? But what are also just like new ways to maneuver through that and I think about that a lot when when thinking about um, organizing and politics, right? Like, what what are we just doing out of habit? And what vocabulary are we just using because it's what we have? And um, how do we create n- new movement invention in, like, leftist spaces, um, both online and off? <laughs> um yeah, I, I don't know. That That's something I, I've thought a lot about over the last year because I feel like my position as a teacher and choreographer is a, is is running parallel to where I am as an organizer and as a Marxist in a lot of ways. What are some of the highlights of our podcast from the past year that really stand out to you guys? Like some of the things that you might be, if you were, if you were recommending our podcast to somebody and you wanted to show off what you thought we shone the brightest, where would that be? I always encourage folks to start with um, the Gothic Marxist episodes, yeah, same, um, the revolutionary pessimist episodes, and. Because I, I think those are the the things that are woven into all of the other episodes, or we at least, uh, whether mm-hmm. deliberately or not, try to, I don't know, have as a common thread um, in all of our episodes. And then I also, just because I regret so much not being a part of it, always encourage people to listen to the Vampire Castle episode, um, which we should redo with me. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think that my 
my favorite and what I think are the most illustrative episodes that uh, kind of get give a sense of what the podcast is all about. Um, I I mean, are almost identical to the ones that you mentioned, Jenny. Mm-hmm. Um, Gothic Marxism and Marxist Romanticism, um, pessimism of the intellect, pessimism of the will. I really liked the proper amount of bumming people out, which was a response to a, a question sent to us by, um, you know, by a, by by a listener, which is actually something I'd want to encourage to happen more because that was that was really cool and it it, it helped us reframe and 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 more deeply plant uh, the the running theme and kind of guiding. Uh, guiding principles, I guess, of, of the podcast. Um, Sharpened our analysis on a few things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I think I also um, I also really liked the uh, Dialectic of Defeat episode. Mm. Collaboration with Red Library. Yeah, definitely. That was really good. That was definitely one of the episodes that, um, to me, is... Uh, if that's an example of what I mean about, like, having to kind of think about things in a lot of, a lot of new ways... Mm-hmm. Um, that I would encourage uh, anybody who is feeling frustrated with the the rote dogmatism of like you know transitional program 2.0 type Marxism that they've learned that that one to me is a, that's a helpful one to me to il- illustrate I think a more flexible way of approaching complicated political questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my favorite my favorite one that we did was the. Uh, Gothic Marxism and Marxist Romanticism. Same here. Followed closely by the uh, pessimism of the intellect, pessimism of the the will. But I actually really like the fascism ones. Um, I I learned a lot uh, in those, for sure. The Strasserism, National Bolshevism, and Third Positionism episodes uh, were incredibly... I mean, because I I, I study this stuff anyway. So diving into an aspect of it that I didn't study that much and giving me an opportunity to learn a whole hell of a lot more than I had previously knew was like super interesting to me. Plus I think it's like, it's relevant. You know, this is, if people are going to be calling each other Strasserites all the time, they should at least know what they are, what Strasserites <laughs> actually are. Yeah. So I thought it was, it was a good contribution to the debate and th- that contribution being fucking stop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, um, yeah, I definitely agree to everybody. The only other one that I really love, and uh, I, I don't, I, I think it doesn't get uh, uh, get enough attention or love, uh, is the um, our episode on disagreements with the Unabomber. <laughs> I which, knew you were gonna say that. Which that's the Kevin yeah. episode. Yeah, it just it, like that's you know that's a big area of passion for me uh, is environmental concerns, and it's a thing. The Unabomber, uh, <laughs> thing, th- uh, you know, an area that I've worked uh, a lot in for a long time, been very uh, concerned with. Uh, with um, like intellectually engaging with the ideas of how to think about environmentalism as a Marxist. And uh, and also, I really want people to blow up fossil fuel infrastructure, and it's not happening. I um, I definitely can we say that on this on the show? Yes, I don't know. Kevin Kevin's a lawyer, so he'll he'll know. <laughs> is it also, legal to blow up fossil fuel? It is infrastructure, not Kevin? legal to blow up fossil fuel infrastructure. If anybody does that, they are undertaking the risk of uh, of the consequences that come with doing illegal acts, extremely illegal acts. We should tell Ted Danson and uh, Jane Fonda to do it then because they have the <laughs> yeah. resources to like um, – so if anyone can put us in contact with Jane Fonda and Ted Danson so that we can encourage them to just up the ante, yeah. uh, that would be great. 
That's the and Tony Danza. That's the sort of celebrity uh, civil disobedience that I want to see. So I, I saw this video of uh, one of the electric companies in um, Chile that was set on fire by protesters and was burning. And I was just like, yeah, see, protest does work, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> That's <laughs> never. <laughs> I don't think I want to go on the record. Coward. <laughs> Say it with your chest, Chris. <laughs> I'm just saying that's the kind of protest that works, right? It's true. Yeah, um, you're not wrong. Taking taking out a taking out a permit and standing on the sidewalk. Uh, I mean, you know, another episode that I uh, found a lot in, like more than I thought I would find going back to, was the uh, changing the city to change ourselves. Oh yeah, I, f- I felt like that discussion was uh, was really good and. Really, it's it's kind of like it was hard for me to to find an episode going back that I didn't that I didn't want to celebrate in some way, you know. Like some of them are definitely rough, you know, and some of them we're definitely not as prepared for as we could have been. But I think all of them, right? I think I'd stand by all of them, you know. Which uh, which was a surprise to me actually, because <laughs> I was expecting, I was remembering some of them uh, a l- a lot worse than I actually find them, um, you know, going back with a uh, after you know some of them several months to a year since recording what are some of the episodes that you really thought we could have worked on like we could have done better some of the or not even some of the episodes some of the instances from the past where like we dropped the ball we could have done better uh we should have prepared more is there anything that sticks out in anybody's mind i deeply regret ever advocating for uh base building i think it's the wrong approach to what the left should be doing or how it should be engaging. Uh, I think it was wrong uh, to advocate for uh, the uh, uh, on the level of, uh, you know, do something rather than nothing. Uh, I, I think it actually is useful for peop- for the left to sit down and think about what the hell it's doing before it just throws itself into something. Uh, the idea of building the uh, the base for the left is a good idea, I think, but that's about as far as that idea uh, is useful. Um, I, I don't think that uh, putting a huge emphasis on mutual aid, which it does, uh, is is that great. Uh, I think and, it, and I think it disregards the importance of uh, engagement with the political system uh, that exists. Um, uh, which is an extremely useful uh, engagement, and I think it also decenters uh, the working class as the base uh, of of the party uh, or of the left or whatever. And so, insofar as you know, we should uh, be trying to organize the unorganized. Always, that, that is a, a good idea. Go uh, organize new workplaces and organize um, uh, new tenant unions where possible, but. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's a bad idea to try to wear yourself out trying to um, create organization that doesn't exist outside of, you know, you and, you know, your couple of uh, equally committed friends or whatever who are doing it with you. Um, uh, so I, uh, you know, I regret going on the record <laughs> advocating for that. But I guess that's part of the whole pro- thing that, we're, that the benefit of the, this whole thing is, I, you know, I guess I don't regret taking a position that I've changed my mind on. I, I but I do, ha- but I have changed my p- mind on it. Um, I just want to go on the record saying that uh, I was always a skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think that I do agree. So that's that's an interesting. Um, but I think that's okay. 
but uh, I don't think that I do agree. It is not okay to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that I do agree. Um, I would maybe like, you know, alter a couple of phrases or a couple of thoughts here and there. But I think sure. on the whole, the um, that 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 discussion is still one that I think was a useful one and one that I don't think is is only useful in in, in as much as it helped exorcise a ghost or a demon or whatever. I actually think that uh you know there are there's a lot of discussion to be had in the in the near future about the kind of state of the US left and why there are you know there's what you could call a strike wave. Um you know it's certainly a higher wave of strikes and you know class combativity um than we've seen in the last 20 years. And then on the other hand, we also have a left which is largely apart from it and is able to like write about it and celebrate it in a way which almost makes you could make you think that it was integral to it when in fact it's not yeah. uh, like at all. And I think that the the desires of the base building discussion, I think, more closely approximate the, the, the problem of the the twin tracks rather than the merger of the working class movement and the socialist project. And, you know, there's plenty that I think is like maybe like wrongheaded in, in some details, but I think overall, like if your desire as, as, you know, part of the socialist left in an organized sense is not to, I think to accomplish the, uh, that marriage. And instead you just seek to kind of like ride the wave of the working class combativity. Then I think, well, we'll we'll stay in the place that we are as a left. So I'm not prepared to throw that that whole discussion out. I I feel very similarly, which comes as a surprise to absolutely no one. I regret, I guess, things that are sort of out of our control, which is like the same issue that we encounter when we're talking about like intersectionality or decolonizing or any other word that's been taken and um, kind of either watered down or neoliberalized whatever yeah those things are out of our control the way people have kind of finagled base building into meaning whatever they want it to mean um and and i i guess i regret maybe not being able to do more in (laughs) an episode's time in, in terms of clarifying uh or working through even what may be base building means to us politically. Um, but I, I don't know how much of that is is within our control. Um, but I do think it, it was a valuable conversation, even if we came to different conclusions about what we think about base building a year later. So uh, we've dealt with Kevin's regrets. What about... Uh... Everyone else's low points, regrets, whatever things we could have done better. Yeah, yeah. I think so. We did an episode called "A Situationist uh, New Year's Spectacular," which I think um, you could have had a better name. <laughs> yeah, that's my fault. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. No. Um, no, that's not the that's not the point. That uh, that's not the low point of it. I think so. You know, when we started, before we really had figured out how to like more effectively weave general themes through more concentrated topics you know we did a lot of episodes to like introduce a concept or a series of them and i kind of just feel like in the in the in the broad sketch 
that that was that episode. There were plenty of little spots where I feel like um, we maybe only scratched at the surface or we could have dealt with some things better. And in particular, I was thinking about the uh, the discussion about um, like recuperation could have benefited more with some fleshing out uh, of the like with regards to like making like the production of safe rebel aesthetics. You know, we talked about uh, like our examples of punk music and hip hop becoming just part of pop music. I think didn't really quite get at what I was wanting to talk about originally, which is more about like the use of the imagery of revolt and revolution and even anti-capitalism as part of marketing, as an example of recuperation. Like it's not just like that the the milieu in which, you know, a, a Johnny Rotten type figure comes from, but even like the things that, that on the surface are being advocated as being radical. So, you know, like, oh, I listen to like radical music and it like, you know, it makes me think about radical things or whatever and how it doesn't matter and how in a lot of ways it, it serves, it just serves as more grease on the gears. Like that's a conversation that, you know, maybe one day, I don't know if it has to be revisited, but I think it's one that um, probably we could have addressed better. I would like to revisit the idea of recuperation just as a whole episode and rebel aesthetics or whatever. Cause I think that that's something that we could probably, we could probably talk for a really long time about that because we've got, you know, the entire mainstream left thinks that it is going against the status quo by advocating for culturally culturally liberal ideas and we can pretty much look at our society and see that liberalism has won the culture war and at the same time completely lost the war for uh better working conditions and to holding on to the last vestiges of the welfare state and stuff like that. So I think that it, it would be, to me, I think it would be worth talking about capitalism has given us victories in places that don't affect the day-to-day maintenance of the system while completely eviscerating us and others. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think we could, I think we could all benefit from deeper investigation of that. Um, I, I just regret uh, not being a better... <laughs> co-host um i regret uh not having more time and not being able to participate more uh because this is my favorite part of every two weeks um and something i really look forward to personally and politically uh and it's just hard not to be able to you know not have to deal with working class problems Um, but I generally just feel like I said what I said. (laughs) And even if I, um, cringe listening to it and even if I don't know that I feel or think all of the same things that I did a year ago, I'm still proud of the, the process and to whatever degree transformation that's taken place. Uh, I, I just, not to say that like, I'm generally a no regrets ass type of bitch, but, uh, I just, (laughs) but I mean, again, like, I just feel that that's how I feel. I like I said what I said. And um, I generally say everything with my goddamn chest just because I don't know how to not. And, um, you know, like like I said, I, 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 I think that there are things that maybe I can listen to and I wish I would have phrased differently and I wish 
I would have uh, had more sleep or not just been coming from work and whatever. Like there, there are definitely things like that, but outside of that, it is what it is. <laughs> Chris, I know you hate when people say that and that's why I said it. <laughs> I think that you're allowed to say it is what it is like once, like every couple of weeks or so. <laughs> but then after that you're charged five dollars anyway uh so for me like honestly i going back and listening to i think the last episode that we did the anti-communism one like was probably one of my worst performances <laughs> no <laughs> because i slept for four hours and uh then recorded at the end of a really long work day and i was just like oh holy crap i could have done so much better with this and like in retrospect there's so much more i would have said and um, wouldn't, wouldn't have talked about how you're it, not scared of fighting eight-year-olds. Actually, that's I don't regret that at all. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> that ended up being pretty funny. But uh, no, I mean, honestly, like I don't have a lot of regrets about anything that we've done. And the only thing that I would have done better is just be better prepared mm-hmm. with having read more, having, you know, maybe not stumbling over my words sometimes. But, you know, oh, well. Um, what what's interesting to me is listening to myself at the beginning and then listening to myself now is I feel like I'm a lot more coherent mm-hmm. now. Like I'm getting, I'm learning how to talk again. Mm-hmm. It's something I used to know how to do back when I was in like grad school. I used to have to try to argue my points with professors and stuff like that or in uh, seminar classes. And then I kind of just forgot how to do it. And my brain atrophied after <laughs> six years of not having to, to do it and not being involved in politics and not being involved in academia in any way. Mm-hmm. And now I'm learning how to talk and think again. So I regret having let my brain atrophy for six years. Man, I was thinking about like, Jenny, Jenny, when you said, you know, I said what I said and there's none of it, none of it that I like really regret. Uh, none of, none of anything that we've done that we may have changed our minds about or have gotten better about yeah, is in the same category to me as one article I wrote for Socialist Worker in 2014, I think, <laughs> where, and I don't know why whoever edited this article allowed this through and I don't know what possessed me to write it, but I wrote something to the effect of anybody from Vermont knows that the only thing that Senator Bernie Sanders is concerned with is the reelection of Bernie Sanders. And it's just to my eternal shame that I wrote that line down because <laughs> wow. it's just, it's so bad and so hackish and so indicative of the brain rot that like sets in, in that kind of an environment Yeah, that, that closed loop, small, like circle the wagons type you know, hold down the tradition kind of environment, it fucks you up. It makes you stupid. And that's what it did to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Bernie Sanders has got an immense number of problems. And, you know, none of them are that. Right, exactly. I mean, it was just like a, it's just absolutely wrong. And I I don't even know what possessed me to write it. But the editor who allowed that through was utterly irresponsible. That's who I blame ultimately. <laughs> the point of being in an editor's role is to like, you know, you're the you're the last stop for all those words on their way out into the world and you're supposed to catch stuff like that and be like, "Hey man, let's put a political criticism in here." This, you know, whatever. Like I don't want to harp on this too much. I just mean like no matter how badly any of us have ever fucked up in our lives, I don't think it's uh I I mean politically. I don't know what y'all have done that you regret. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> but uh but nothing that we've said on this podcast is worse than that. Borrowing to go to grad school. Right. Oh, <laughs> God. Seriously.
So looking forward, like, what do we want to do in the next year? Like, what kind of things would we like to cover? What kind of concepts would we like to try out? Is there any kind of formatting things that we'd like to do or any, any kind of topics we'd like to engage with? I really have been interested in talking about um, like utopian versus scientific socialism because I feel like this push um, from the tradition that we come from to like always be scientific socialists and approach things scientifically, whether I believe that we have actually done that or not, um, is one conversation. And whether I think that it is what I think about scientific socialism and what we've come to understand as scientific socialism is something that I've really been thinking a lot about lately. And then I'm also, again, um, like really interested in talking about utopian socialism, specifically through the lens of talking about cults. So let's not rule out that Jonestown episode. Hey, that's uh, still, that's oh, still yeah. on our possible episode list. <laughs> I know. Um, but also just in terms of like assessing this sort of like cult-like organizing, I feel like a lot of people engage in how that, that fits in with that. Uh, those, those are things that I'm really interested in. Some of the things I want to do over the coming year um, is like uh, I want to do a lot more investigations into what I think have become fairly safe topics. Like, you know, we did the socialism from below episode and uh, I think you can even hear it in some of our earlier discussions, but certainly in the, the way that we think about um, the way that we talk in politics in a more casual way. Prior to that episode, I kind of feel like it was a sort of a given, like, oh, yeah, socialism from below. That means something specific. It represents a series of of important assumptions and things. And we, you know, the investigation into it, I think, helped us reveal uh, inconsistencies and problems and, like, just, like, more layers than I think we maybe assumed that there were because we become so comfortable with the kind of lexicon. I feel that way about... Um, terms like culture industry and late capitalism and neoliberalism like i think on the left right yeah i think on the left we have a lot of terms that are so broadly accepted that we use them without ever really knowing for sure if we're meaning the same things mm -hmm. when we say them and like, without listening to people and trying to understand what they mean when they use them yeah i think a lot of times we'll have a i mean okay that base building is a really good example mm -hmm. of like it's become such a term, it, it's become such a popular term that it doesn't necessarily describe anything because it has become yeah. an empty signifier into which you can just kind of pour whatever concept you want it to mean or the things that you already think and believe. So sure. having spent a year um, establishing better patterns of thinking and trying to, to overcome some worst practices uh, and establishing a lot more of a baseline about like a kind of you know, general party line for the podcast about like uh, the romantic strain in Marxism and the pessimism of the intellect and uh, a kind of a salvage approach to the best uh, political conclusions of the last century. Uh, I would like to investigate some of this present moment's favored terms. Uh, I, you know, speaking of the Gothic Marxism episode uh, being one of uh, all of our favorites is uh, I would like to do more episodes in that vein of like cultural criticism. Um, I would like to have the opportunity to do things like engagement with art and aesthetics 
um, uh, as well as more explicit political um, uh, political analysis of the world and our situation, that sort of thing. Um, I think it's really useful and fruitful and also just fun and nice and feels good to uh, engage with the more human uh, sides of ourselves as we navigate the world rather than just just uh, analyzing our political situation and how to interact with it. So I agree with that, Kevin. Absolutely. That's something that I was thinking of. I would like to dive into a little bit more um, Marxist romanticism. We've got unexamined thinkers that I think would have worked really well in that discussion. Um, and I would like to read and discuss some of the stuff that they had to say. That and I really would like to do while exploring the, the you know the more human side of of marxism i would like to discuss some of the um religious marxists in the yeah. past and how religion how people's religion drives their fight for emancipation uh, i think that would be an interesting topic to go over uh i would like to actually continue in our fascism series uh, we got we got a we got some stuff in the works and I think it'll be really good, a more rigorous study and more structure than the sort of haphazard approach we've taken in the past. I'm looking forward to doing that. But yeah, those are the things that I'm most looking forward to doing. One last thing. This sort of is a holdover thought from an earlier part of this conversation from like number three on our list. But it's also part of this one, which is like stuff I was like kind of highlights from the last year, but also stuff I want to do more of. We as a group, you know, not necessarily always at the same time, but some of us or, or another group of us appeared on a couple of other podcasts from Alpha to Omega, uh, giving, a mic, giving the mic to the wrong person and the collaboration with Red Library and Symptomatic Redness. And every single one of those was really great for the way that it like it, it kind of helped us step out of our own little bubble where it's just the four of us talking to each other, you know, and helped us, I, I think, learn a lot about how to broaden our approach to i don't know trying to trying to plant some seeds for a 21st century socialism you know, like you know to people who are looking for a communist horizon which is not just nostalgia and hyperactivity they were really challenging they you know helped us like you know absorb other people's thoughts and and contend with them in that way and i want to do more of that <laughs> So all in all, looking back over the previous year, I would say that this is probably one of the most fruitful political contributions that I've ever made. I wouldn't say I'd feel the best about it, this out of everything that I've ever done, but I feel very good about this. I feel as though that this actually is worth something. Uh, I don't know if that's an overinflated sense of what we're doing, but a lot of people tell us that they that we kind of voice a lot of the things that they've been thinking and never really talked about and that it's good to hear other people coming to terms honestly with uh how bleak things actually are and not not clinging to a, a false sense of optimism and i think that that means that this is worth doing yeah it means it's it's doing what we had hoped it would do in our wilder aspirations and the fact that like yeah the the fact that that a growing number of people are listening 
to our podcast is some sometimes strikes me as odd you know it's like because like i would listen to our podcast but i'm i'm like very pleasantly surprised to know that um we haven't yet found every single person who would listen I mean, like that 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 number is growing it feels good it feels like we're doing something right you know hopefully that, it, that this is it's helpful for other people and not just for us to work out our own personal questions you know that we, we've touched on something that is more general that we we're swimming with a certain stream and that feels good and it's the warm stream of marxism yeah speaking of listeners like it blows my mind that we've well first of all that we have as many listeners as we do um i never thought we'd have as many as we do it it's it's kind of insane to me but that we have listeners from like all over the world that regularly listen to us from europe africa uh asia mostly in the united states which makes sense in the english-speaking world but then it's like the fact that there are people in you know the middle east and former Yugoslavia and Russia and Eastern Europe that are like listening to us on a regular basis is it's, it's humbling to know that we're like reaching people like, like that far away from us who are finding uh, our efforts like worth listening to. And like, I'm very appreciative of it. It makes me feel good to know that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I uh, definitely feel extremely grateful uh, for being uh, able to do this. Um, and that, uh, and it makes it feel a lot more worthwhile that uh, other people find uh, find value in, in what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Anything I say would just be echoing um, y'all. And I'm not uh, like white dude at a meeting who's going to be like, I just <laughs> like to echo what the comrade said and then go off. So uh, just. Yeah, you just say, I just want to underscore <laughs> what the comrade said. And then like, instead of stopping there you just say the same uh-huh. thing more words yeah. you have to use well, more words um, yeah. yeah i don't want to use more words so just ditto yeah see you know what i just did there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, notice you're, you're a white guy in a meeting yeah you're better at yeah. this than <laughs> i am okay yeah exactly. <laughs> he's had he's had um, years of practice more being of a, a white guy more of a, a comment than a question so just like <laughs>